0: Hello and welcome. Here to Lead is for leaders who are looking for practical insight and hands-on tools and advice on how to unleash the power in their leadership to get things done. I'm your host, Kelly Barkabus. Let's get started. Have you ever had someone question you and your qualifications outside of a job interview? That's different. That's not what I'm talking about. But have you ever had someone stop you and question you? Someone you don't know that you encounter and they question you, who you are, why you're where you are and wondering if you belong have you ever gone to a private event that you were invited to but people look at you like you don't belong this happens to my husband and i it happens in two different places sometimes when we walk in a really fancy restaurant or fancy party we're not really all that fancy and sometimes people or we feel like people are looking at us like What are they doing here? And then the opposite end of the spectrum, we love to go to super dive bars. The divier, the better. And if you walk into sometimes a bar like that for the first time, everybody who sits at the bar turns around and looks at you like who are you? And why are you here in our bar? Because of course, they all know each other. They're all friends. They've all been drinking there for their whole lives. And then you walk in, we just love to step right up to the bar, order a beer, and have a good time, meet people start talking. And you know, there's always that moment where it just seems like everybody in the place turns around and looks at you like, what are you doing here? Sometimes the bouncer or the security person or the maitre d' walks over to let you know, make sure you know this is a private event, and only invited guests should be eating the caviar and drinking the champagne. It's happened to me more than once, and I always love it when I can say, I'm on the list. I was invited. I'm supposed to be here. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm your host, Kelly Bargabas, And if you've been listening and following this podcast at all, then you know that I've recently released the book, Here to Lead, Mastering the Art of Leadership to Execute Strategy, Advance Change, and Drive Results, right? And going along with a new book, you know, you have to promote it and try to sell it. And so I've been hosting some author events and book signings in the last couple of months. And if you've never done a meet and greet or an author event, it's pretty excruciating. You're at a table, you're at the door in Barnes & Noble or sitting in the center of Barnes & Noble and just sitting there, you and your books and your smile greeting people. Or, you know, I've done a couple lately in a really popular lunch spot and in a happy hour in a bar. And all of them, I feel the same way. I feel like I'm sitting alone in the middle school cafeteria at a table and hoping someone will talk to me, come sit with me. But anyhow, at every single one of these events that I've done so far in these last couple of months, I've had at least one man ask me a question. And the question was some version of "What makes you qualified to write this book? What have you done?" The first man who asked me that really caught me off guard, and he, you know, said, "What what makes you qualified to write this book?" So I stammered a little bit, and I started to go into my experience and the different roles that I've held, and you know, my thirty-year career, and he and kind of scoffed and said, "Oh." Did you ever work at a public company or a Fortune 500? And the most polite one I had was just the other day, someone that I sort of know. And he's a really laid back, really nice man. The way he phrased it was, how did you come to write a book on leadership? Now, again, these questions that I've encountered these last couple of months are from mostly people I don't know. I've had a few personal friends ask me, you know, more from a curious standpoint. When I've been asked these questions, it really shook me and caught me off guard. And as I've reflected on it, I think it's because the people who know me professionally, the people who I'm currently working with or who I've worked with in the last few years, they know me. They know what I'm all about, they know my capabilities and skills and experience and qualifications, and they accept me in a leadership role and as a coach and or a consultant. And it's been interesting to me that I've had to almost defend myself in the fact that I wrote a book, a business book. I will say, too, for those of you who have written books, that, of course... When you're in the stage of writing or selling your book and you're trying to get someone to publish it or find an agent, of course, I have to give my bio and tell them why I am the right person to write this book. That's different. The questions I've encountered at these book events recently from people who don't know me had a different tone, or at least I perceived a different tone. Like everything in my life, I tend to analyze and think and try to figure it out. Why did this bother me so much? I mean, on the one hand, they don't know me, so it is a valid question. But on the other hand, I personally don't walk around asking people I encounter, what makes you qualified to wait tables? What gives you the right to clean my teeth or change my tires, right? I mean, we go throughout our day and our world and our life with a certain expectation that people are in the roles they're in because they're qualified and have the appropriate experience. Also, was it possible that I was projecting past offense or past trauma or past sexism on these encounters? Is it because I'm a woman? Am I being defensive? Is it because I don't look the part? You know, I recently decided about 18 months ago to stop dyeing my hair. And so now my hair is almost all gray or white or some version of it. And I'm a little insecure about it if I'm being super honest and vulnerable. But, you know, all of those things make me wonder and have been swirling around in my head. But at the core, people were questioning, do I belong in this space? Do I have the right to be an author? Do I have the right to put out this book on leadership? And it's an old story, right? You know, in our culture, in our world, we have constructed, you know, we in the global sense, not me personally, not you personally, but there are gatekeepers, right? And There's old school gatekeepers of agents and publishers. It was a very patriarchal business. And their role was to keep certain people out and let certain people in. And it was very hard to get in or out. And... There's a perception that in today's world there's a lot more access and we don't have the traditional gatekeepers we used to have which is sort of true it's much easier today i think to self-publish to not have to rely on one of the big publishing houses to get your book out for example there's social media which gives all of us a platform and access but you know does it really because the gatekeepers Just this new version, new generation of gatekeepers figured out how to modify social media and restrict it and put up gates so that who sees your platform and who sees your content is very limited, right? There's the infamous Facebook algorithm. LinkedIn has an algorithm. All the social media platforms have an algorithm that you have to try to hack or pay money to get beyond, right? So we still have all those people keeping gates, telling us, giving us permission to be in a space, And the thing is, I'm extremely confident in my abilities, my skills, my experience, as you can probably guess from this podcast and the work I do. So why exactly do I care? Why do I care if someone questions me? What's the big deal? Why do I care what they think? I don't need their permission. I don't need them to validate who I am, right? I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what I can do. And the people who really know me know it as well. So why do I care? Well, As I've been thinking about it, this situation that I've been going through also coincided with some other coaching conversations that I've had with colleagues recently, where they were frustrated in their organization because they weren't being heard or recognized properly as a leader, and they were frustrated because they were the only one leading the quote unquote right way. And so I thought if I'm struggling with this idea and these colleagues that I've coached recently are struggling with this same sort of thing about permission and people recognizing you as a leader, I thought that it might be a really valuable podcast episode because I'm I'm going to bet that there are others out there that are dealing with this. And so I wanted to share the coaching advice that I gave my colleagues and what I've been talking myself through in this episode. And that advice starts with this. You don't need to apologize for being a leader, but most importantly, you don't need permission from anyone to be a leader, to do the right things, to make the right decisions, to carry yourself with integrity and authenticity, even if or even when there is chaos around you and the organization is on fire and burning everywhere, or maybe you work for a mad leadership team or a crazy CEO, doesn't matter. The only thing you can ever 100% control is yourself and how you lead yourself and your team. Even if everyone else in the company is doing the wrong thing, you can still be the leader you know you are with your direct reports and with your colleagues, and you can do it unapologetically, and you don't need permission. You will encounter times in your career when bad decisions are being made, you don't agree with them, they're terrible, and you have to implement them. Because you're in this zone of middle management where you're not top leadership, but you are a leader in the organization. You have a department that you're trying to inspire and corral and motivate and get them to do things. And there will be many times that you have to implement decisions you don't agree with. You will also encounter people that you work with treating others badly. You'll encounter inefficiencies that drive you crazy, but it's not in your department, so you really don't have the control to fix it. But here's the thing. Even when and if no one else is doing it right, you can. You don't need permission. You can lead with respect and kindness. You can hold your team accountable. You can hold your team to a different standard than any other department in the company. In my career, I've led many different teams, but specifically the finance and accounting teams that I've led, I've given the same speech to them, almost the same speech in each organization. It was very typical in the accounting group to be frustrated with other departments because, you know, the thing about the finances and the accounting is at the end of the day, whatever's going on in the organization, it all lands In the accounting group, right? We either have to pay the bill or we have to collect the money from the customer. We have to report that sales are down. We have to report that trends are off, that we're not meeting our numbers, that we're losing money, that we're running out of cash. Like all the bad decisions and all the stuff, the good and bad decisions that happen around the company, it all lands in accounting's lap at some point at the end of the day, right? There has to be an accounting for everything. And so it, it can sort of start to feel like a dumping ground. Sometimes we feel like we have to do all this work because other people aren't dotting their I's and crossing their T's. They're not following the rules. They're not signing invoices like we want them to. They're not getting pre-authorizations and approvals, and they're not following the policies and procedures. And, you know, it can be very frustrating. But I've given this speech to almost every team that I've led probably in the last 10 years that goes something like this. You know, as finance and accounting people, like it or not, we are held to a different standard, and that we need to just be unapologetic for. We handle the finances. We handle payroll, taxes. We handle the most important things for this organization, for this business. And we are held to a different standard of confidentiality, of professionalism, and of accountability. And we are going to do that regardless of what goes on around us. It's not fair It's my job as your leader to try to get the other departments to be held accountable and to do what needs to be done, and I will commit and work to that. But I want you to know on this team, you are held to a different standard, and you should be proud of that, and you should not apologize for it, okay? And so you can show your team, you can show your direct reports that... Regardless of what's going on around the organization, you can be proud to hold yourself to a different standard. So all of this contemplation and coaching about defending your right to be where you are and not waiting for permission to be the leader you are has led me to the idea of the unapologetic leader. I've embraced it so much. Personally, I'm adding it to my elevator pitch. If you've listened to episode three of this podcast, you know what the elevator pitch of leadership is. If you don't go back and listen to episode three and develop your own elevator pitch. But I've added this element to my own. And so now my elevator pitch of leadership is this. I am an unapologetic leader who is authentic, collaborative, and capable with a passion for finding solutions, reversing negative trends, maximizing productivity, and implementing change. I'm committed to leading with kindness, respect, and open and consistent communication while holding myself and others accountable for operational excellence. And that is who I am, and that is who I'm going to be in any and every situation, regardless of what's going on around me. Let's talk about this word unapologetic and what it means, okay? It's, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. Unapologetic means you're not going to apologize. You're not going to say you're sorry. You're not going to accept fault or blame. In this particular case that I'm making here today for the unapologetic leader, for me, the word means showing no regret. Here's an example from the dictionary. Their answer was honest, straightforward, and unapologetic. The poet's willingness to be so unapologetic about her point of view takes nerve. It also conveys a sense of strength. For example, you might describe uh, someone as an unapologetic feminist. What does that mean? It means that they are proud to stand by their beliefs. You could apply it to any noun. You could be an unapologetic Republican, Democrat, an unapologetic parent, whatever it is that you are proud to stand behind, you're confident in, you're centered in, you're solid in what you believe, and you're not going to apologize for it. And in our organizations, we need to be unapologetic about our leadership. We need to be so solid in who we are, why we are there, and what we do that we don't apologize for that. Now, here's a PSA. If you're a jerk, you still need to apologize. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that you can walk around every day swaggering through the halls or on Zoom, being a jerk, being rude, being disrespectful, acting like you know everything, being a pompous ass, okay? But we need to be unapologetic about our leadership. So, like everything with Here to Lead, I want to just talk for a few minutes about what does that look like on a daily basis? What does that look like on Monday morning? What does that look like on Wednesday afternoon in the conference room, in the hallway, when you're in a crisis or when things are going good? If I'm going to be an unapologetic leader at work, what does that look like? Well, an unapologetic leader doesn't apologize for number one, being a leader. You don't apologize or show regret. For being a leader, you don't hang back, you don't hold back. Sometimes this can happen if we are promoted beyond our colleagues. You know, let's say you were hired with a group of people when you were starting out your career or starting out in that particular company. You know, you and your friends or your colleagues have been sort of on the same level and progressing evenly throughout your career. And all of a sudden, you get a director role and they don't. Don't apologize for that. Maybe you are, you've committed yourself to studying leadership and becoming a good leader. You're aspiring, you're studying, you're putting your leadership into practice, and you're evolving. And maybe everyone else that you came up with is staying the same and not evolving because they're not interested, or they have a bad attitude, or they're not invested. Don't let their lack of leadership hold you back from being the leader you want to be. Don't apologize for being a leader. The unapologetic leader also does not apologize for not knowing everything or making mistakes. I firmly believe that leaders don't have to know everything. I don't subscribe to the hero leadership model where, you know, I have to be the big cheese in every conference room and I have to know everything. I don't. I just I need to know how to get it. I need to know how to find the answers. But I don't personally need to know everything. It's impossible. It's impossible. And I'm also going to make mistakes. And when I do make mistakes, I own it. If I need to apologize to a person, I will. But I don't apologize necessarily for making mistakes. It happens. We're human, right? I don't need to devalue myself in my leadership. I need to own it. I need to be accountable. I need to be honest with my team and then move on. The unapologetic leader doesn't apologize for hiring people smarter than them. It's okay. This really goes hand in hand with number two, the one that I just talked about. You know, a rising tide raises all boats. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Leaders hire leaders and let them lead. And, you know, we need to be confident enough to hire people smarter than us because ultimately we want what's best for the team. That's what an unapologetic leader does. The unapologetic leader does not apologize for sharing what they know and what they've learned. They don't apologize for sharing their expertise. If they're a subject matter expert in different areas in the company, don't apologize for that. Don't hold back. Don't feel like you need permission. And lastly, the fifth thing that an unapologetic leader does not apologize for is their experience. How you've come to where you are in your career, own it. Don't apologize for it. Don't don't think like less of yourself because you haven't worked at Google or one of the big name companies. You haven't worked for a Fortune 500. Don't apologize for that. Whatever your experience is, you've used it, it's developed you, it's been valuable. My own personal experience, I've worked in a I've worked in wholesale and retail and nonprofit. I've worked in large companies and small companies and, you know, quite frankly, I've learned just as much maybe more from the smaller companies than I did from the bigger ones. So don't apologize for your experience where you've been, where you went to school. I know in some circles, it's a big deal to throw around where you went to college. I used to work for someone who asked everybody where they did their undergrad. And it was a badge of honor, you know, if you went to an Ivy League, or you went here, or went there. And I put myself through college, I graduated with a BS from Utica College of Syracuse University. I had student loans when I came out. I'm really proud of that. My parents didn't go to college. My sisters and brothers and I were the first generation in our family to go to college. So I'm, I'm really proud of that, but I have also felt very intimidated by uh, in different groups that I've been in throughout my career because people went to fancier colleges than I did. And, you know, I never really felt part of that world. Anyway, I'm past that now. So I'm encouraging you, don't apologize for your experience or your education. You deserve to be where you are. Wherever you are on the leadership spectrum, this applies to you. Whether you're experienced or new, aspiring or accomplished, you can begin to live this way right now in your leadership. I mean, I've got 30 years experience. You wouldn't think I would even have to still think about this stuff. But, you know, you will continue to evolve and grow and meet people who challenge you and challenge your, your presence. They will challenge your presence in the room, in the space right so i think wherever you are in the leadership spectrum or wherever you are in your career this applies to you you should begin to make sure that you're living this way right now it doesn't mean you're smarter or better the unapologetic leader like i said doesn't you should it shouldn't make you a pompous ass right? But you are confident, capable, you know who you are, why you're here, and you don't apologize for it. You are an unapologetic leader. So just to recap, the five things an unapologetic leader doesn't apologize for, being a leader, number one. Number two, not knowing everything or making mistakes. Number three, hiring people smarter than them. Number four, sharing what you know. You don't apologize for that. And finally, you don't apologize for your experience or your education you are an unapologetic leader. So here's your homework. This week, begin to look for times when you feel like you're holding back, where you're waiting for permission, or maybe you feel challenged or questioned, like you don't belong, or you feel frustrated that you're not able to be the leader you want to be. Look for situations and experiences and times where you've where you catch yourself feeling that way, and then come back to this unapologetic leader and the permission to do that and see if you can work through it. See if you can get your confidence up to just be the leader you want to be regardless of what's going on around you and who's questioning you. And for anyone still wondering, I wrote this book here to lead because I've been a lifelong student of leadership and have passionately pursued it for my entire career. After 25 plus years in leadership, senior leadership in C-suite roles in different companies, industries, and teams... I have a business case study of the hard lessons, the truth bombs, and the tools that transformed my own leadership throughout my career, and I want to share them with the world, or at least other leaders like me. My point of view is unique in that I give insight into the parts of leadership we don't like to talk about, which is that there is a gap between the leadership skills we have on paper and the ability to get stuff done. So there. That's why I wrote here to lead, unapologetic. You can go to KellyBargabus.com to listen to past episodes, to reach out to me, ask me questions, give me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. If you're in the Syracuse area and you're listening to this, I am going to be hosting leadership workshops on Tuesdays at lunchtime at the Salt City Market. It's called Working Lunch. You can find out all about it on my website. But it is Tuesdays, 1130 to 130 at the Salt City Market. I hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate your time. Take care. We'll talk soon.